Alrighty, hello everybody and welcome back to Tales from a Cult Insider, which I hope is your newest favorite storytelling podcast. If you have binged to this episode, episode 12, congratulations. You're not done. This will never be done. I'll be telling stories until I'm old and gray. I've got so much stuff to draw from. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for being here with me. I'm excited to tell you stories today for this Wonderful episode, episode 12, which is actually a very special episode because it is the day after Christmas. And, 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 something a little more personal, it's December 26th, which is a very important date in my life. Uh, I'm not going to get emotional and uh, stuff, I'm not going to turn this into a devotional, but I will tell you that I, when I was baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, it was on December 26th, uh, many, many, many years ago. And so, greatest Christmas gift I've ever received. Um, and I just am glad that you're here to mark this day with me. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening so far. I hope that this continues to entertain. As always, please feel free to send in your questions to jared at jaredgarrett.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. You can have me come and speak to your class, to your Rotary, to your Kiwanis, to your garden club, to your winter ski club, to your enemies just before you come in and slaughter them and drive them before you and hear the lamentation of their women. Whatever you prefer. That was a Conan reference. Please understand. That was a Conan reference. I'm here to help. I'm here to entertain. And I'm here to tell stories. I'm going to remind you that I have had hard times. I'm very chipper in these because I have a very happy life, even though it's difficult and challenging uh, in many ways, and sometimes nonstop and relentlessly busy, considering my current schedule. Boy, but I'm happy with life, even though I, I still struggle with anxieties and some depressions that are minor, 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 especially compared to so many of you. But whatever you're struggling with, no matter how hard it is, I have just two important points to make before we go on. One, you matter. Not in an Einstein way, but you matter. You matter to people, even if you feel like in the moment you don't. Your, your brain is lying to you if it's telling you you don't matter. Don't trust it. Trust what you know. Trust what you felt, the truth that you felt. You matter to people, family, friends, coworkers, even your enemies. I hope you don't have enemies, but you matter. Stay, stay with us, please, in this world of infinite happiness, infinite joy, infinite challenge, and happiness and joy that comes from that challenge. Stay. So that's one. You matter. Point two. You're never too far away. Not ever. You've never done so many wrong things you can't fix them. You've never made so many dumb or bad or, you know, even bad intentioned uh, choices that you can't fix them. You can always fix them. This is a life and a world, a creation of a universe of second and third and infinite chances. So please go easy on yourself. I mean, push yourself, but go easy. Sometimes take it easy. Have a hot cocoa, man. Watch Die Hard or Ghostbusters and have a good night. So those are the things I wanted to say to you. Uh, quick orders of business. As you know, I was born in a cult. It was called the Process Church of the Final Judgment when I was born, but by the time I was aware enough to understand what was going on around me, it was called the Foundation Faith of God. It morphed over many years into Best Friends Animal Society, which is a non-religious, great, wonderful, charitable organization 
performing absurdly awesome acts of animal rescue and rehabilitation. Good on you. Thank you for doing that, guys. It's a, it's a vital service to this world. The animals deserve it because they're great. And uh, last order of business is, hey, you can become a supporter, guys. You can support me. Help me buy, uh, I don't know, my next cup of poison. My poison is Diet Dr. Pepper. Diet Dr. Pepper drinkers unite. What, what? Uh, or, you know, help me get a piece of bread or get another trifold display board for my kids who continuously have relentless numbers of reports to do, like science fairs and stuff. Boy, howdy. So the, the link's just down below. I pointed down there right now with my finger. Uh, you can't see that because this is not a video. A 30-minute video of me rambling on, probably not great. A podcast while you do other cool things and you don't have to watch me, better. Also, I don't have to have good hair and I might have something stuck in my teeth because I ate a lot of spinach today for dinner or as part of dinner. I don't really need spinach for dinner. Okay, let's get to our question and then we'll get to our story about number 12 or episode 12, I Have Skills. So this question, I had just one question to answer today. It's from Samantha in Salt Lake City. It asks, did you have a best friend in the cult? Well, that is just a lovely question. I'm so glad that you asked that. And you know what? I think if I'd had a truly best friend upon whom I felt like I could depend, uh, to whom I felt like I could open up and, and lean on, um, that would have been great. But no, I didn't. I had many people who I consider friends, who I consider siblings even, but I, I was, I was a dummy, guys. I didn't, I didn't open up very much. Uh, later in life, as I kind of got to about age seventeen, I started to learn to open up a little bit, but I never really did. And if you don't get vulnerable a little bit with your friends, if you don't, you know, let yourself feel, look stupid, and and know that you're going to be okay by even if you're looking stupid, you're not going to be able to get really close with somebody. And I was always too tight up too uh tightly bound just not i was tightly wound i not tightly bound i was tightly wound and i wouldn't let loose i never let loose um never have uh, i did certain types of let loose as i was growing up uh which you can read in my memoir when it eventually comes out uh which i to which i owe much thanks um i to my friends in high school and stuff but no not really a best friend in the cult i didn't I had a, several young men that I hung out with the most, I spent the most time with because of, you know, by virtue of being the same age, so we tended to share a room, and that was Mark and Manuel uh, and Isaac, and then later um, a kid who was much younger than, than us, I shared a room with a kid named Dennis um, for a time. Uh, Dennis was a funny, funny kid, uh, outgoing, happy-go-lucky, fun, kind of weird, uh, some allergies like a lactose intolerance, I'd never heard of it until I met Dennis, uh, he would get apple juice and cereal and eat that. Yeah, you yeah, you heard that right. A bowl of cereal with apple juice poured over it to eat it. That just sounds terrible to me. It, it always has. It's sound ter sounded terrible to me for, I don't, what am I at, 27 years at this point? Yeah, it's a, it's a no from me. Thanks for the question, Samantha and SLC. I hope you enjoyed it, the answer. Let's get to today's stories. Now, it's called I Have Skills. You may be thinking of Liam Neeson in Taken where he said, I have a certain set of skills. I will find you, and I will kill you. That's not what I'm talking about. Although, I'm, no, I really don't have, I don't have any kind of aggressive, violent skills. I, I, I did box, but not like with people. I did some very silly, ridiculous sparring with some of the kids I grew up with. 
Um, like I talked about him, like I think the first episode, a little bit of boxing, but no particular dangerous skills there. Uh, I have a lot of skills from be- because of the way I grew up, and this is this is going to be a positive one. Granted, the context of me gaining these skills is in is simply a ridiculous amount of work, endless work, um, and it you know kind of no end in sight work, and certainly a no belief that I could ever determine my own destiny if I stayed in the cult, and so it was kind of a hopeless context for me. But nonetheless. Working is fun. There's, for me, I, I like manual labor. I like it very much. Uh, I like doing things with my hands. I like making things, putting things in order, uh, make, bringing order when there was chaos, making a new thing where there wasn't anything. So I really enjoy, I actually really enjoy manual labor. Um, getting started is sometimes hard for me because it's hard work and I don't know how to do it all the time, but I usually can figure it out. So Let's start with some basics stuff. Uh, growing up, uh, it seemed like the adults were, were really delighted that there were enough kids around so that they never really had to do any of the manual labor. And I'm not, I'm not joking. I don't ever, I never saw an adult wash a window or wash dishes. Adults cooked because we, we couldn't be trusted to cook until a little later in life. But I never saw an adult wash dishes, uh, wash windows, sweep, vacuum, um, clean floors, uh, wash, clean bathrooms, toilets, mirrors. I never saw a single adult do it. I actually haven't seen one do that in my lifetime, except for myself. And when I worked in a couple of hotels, I, you know, I'd work with uh, the housekeeping folks and those men and women would, would certainly be cleaning. But no, no, in the cult, I never saw an adult do a, a, a lick of hard labor, except for building things, which we couldn't do. But basics like mowing. No, I, I was doing that since from the age of nine or ten. Um, yep, it's, as long as as long as I was tall enough to get behind a mower and push it, I was mowing, raking the grass, edging the grass, raking leaves, uh, doing other landscaping things like digging out um, weeds or digging out an area for a garden. That was always us young people, and so I I grew up knowing that work was my life, knowing that work was just a thing that I'd be asked to do and would have to do it, and so I might as well just buckle down and do it. Um, one of the more interesting and fun thing that, fun things that I got to do was that I got to, and this was got to because I chose to, which is kind of an unusual thing, since the bike that I'd gotten years before, um, incidentally and not coincidentally, from my father, who had really been making an effort, although I wasn't understanding it, I know it made a difference in my life, he was making an effort to spend time with me, he was in Denver at the same time that I was. Uh, early on in my stay there, and he gave me a bike, a used old kind of beat up bike for my birthday. I must have been my eighth or ninth birthday, and it had a, a flat tire. And so he taught me to uh, both replace a tube and also to repair a tube. And from there, I just kind of went on and did things myself. You know, I, I figured out gears, I figured out brakes, I figured out how pedals worked and all that stuff. I figured out how to do handlebars just by maintaining that bike. And then when it was just, I was way too big for it. In Dallas, I was you know, starting at around the age of 13. I needed a bike and didn't have one. Um, there were a lot of bikes, kind of bike carcasses, you could call them, in the garage of Dixie, the big, big giant house that we lived in. And so I determined that since there were so many bike corpses that weren't being used, of course, uh, I was going to make my own bike. And I thought about it for a while, kind of did a little bit of a perusal audit of all the bike parts that were there. And, uh, 
pictured in my mind what my bike might end up looking like. And uh, after a month or two of kind of picturing and planning a little bit, making sure I had the tools, I got started. And it wasn't that hard. I spent like a week putting it together. You know, I got these handlebars, stuck them in the, the, the frame and fork of, a, of another pretty good looking straight bike. Uh, kind of just a very simple boy's bike um, about the right size. I found the best, um, the, the, the seat that was in the best repair. Um, golly, it might have been, it was a regular seat, uh, but my handlebars were those kind of taller handlebars, which is kind of fun until I found some better ones, which were the normal dirt bike ones. Um, and I found some pedals and stuck them on there and made sure I got some really good, nice straight tires off the bikes that, that were good there. Uh, wheels and tubes and stuff made it all good. And I built my own bike, guys. I really, really did. It was awesome. Had a lot of fun. And then I saved some money. Uh, we got a paltry little allowance every month or not every few weeks. I think it was, it was sometimes irregular, quite irregular, um, of a couple of bucks. I saved that for a few weeks and went and bought some matte black spray paint and roughed up the metal all over the bike, covered up the, uh, you know, the, the, the cartridge, I guess it is, or whatever that, um, the pedals go into and the gears and the, not, there wasn't any gears. There were just the two cranks and then the chain. And then I painted the whole bike black, awesome black. It was so cool looking. I felt like it was a ninja bike. I got it all greased up. So it was quiet and I could zoom around at night. And nobody could see me. Probably people saw me and thought, what's that weird kid doing on that bike in the middle of the night? Uh, but yeah, it was fun. Uh, so I built a bike and from that, you know, I still, I still work on bikes. Um, I have, my wife and I have, uh, seven kids. It's a lot. And the expectation is that five of them have bikes as their main form of transportation. Even the older boys uh, who, who are old enough to drive, they don't have their licenses yet because they just haven't gotten to it. Um, so four of my kids ride their bikes to the school. That's just a few miles away. It's called Walden. It's just down the road, uh, in Provo. And, um, it's just a few miles down the road. So they go down this hill and then they come back up the hill every day, uh, unless there's terrible weather. So I have done a lot of bike repair, a lot of tube replacement and repair, a lot of brakes and gears and all that stuff. So that's kind of served me really well, you know, growing up, knowing that I can just build things when I need to, I can fix things when I need to. Uh, so really that's a great skill that I got to be, got, I got, or not, you know, it's not even a skill. I got an attribute from the other stuff I'm about to talk about that, that was really powerful. The powerful knowledge, this internal knowledge that, Hey, I can do stuff and why can't I just try to do things myself? And, um, and that served me well and saved several thousand dollars, uh, for my family. So really, like I said, I, I've saved quite a lot of money uh, for my family because of this attribute that, that I just feel like I, I can do things. For starters, uh, growing up, there were times that I would, we'd have to wash all the cars, of course. Um, we did that every Sunday afternoon after Sunday service, which is called celebration. And we would wash all the cars. And sometimes the people who were in charge of car maintenance would have us help them repair cars. So, I mean, I helped uh, work on a radiator before. I helped with a starter and a distributor. Uh, did plenty of um, air filter changes. That's one of the simplest things. Saw spark plugs replaced, if I recall. Um, obviously, I knew how to change a battery in a car. It's not that hard. Um, and some other basic maintenance, uh, which meant that I felt like I was confident enough under a hood and in a car that I could. I knew how to use tools, certainly knew how to use tools and knew how to not break things. So 
you know what? I've done multiple brake jobs on our cars. Um, on a Corolla that I've owned for many years, I've done, I've replaced the brakes twice now. Uh, maybe, yeah, twice. And on the van, I've replaced the brakes and rotors, a couple, uh, rotors on both cars completely. I think the front rotors on the van actually need replacing now. Not really interested in spending the money. That's okay. Uh, yeah, you know what? Be a, be, be a supporter and help me buy new rotors for the, for the van. There we go. That'll help. That'll reduce the shimmying as we put on brakes at relatively high speeds. Um, you know, in doing, in, in doing brake jobs multiple times, replacing rotors as well. I mean, I don't know how much a brake job costs. It usually costs, I think, though, $150, $200 or so. Since I've done it four or five times, I've probably saved us $1,000, you know? Uh, that's pretty great, honestly. And I've also changed an oil, an entire oil pan out of a car. Uh, I've, um, what else have I done? Oh, uh, changed a serpentine belt once. That was, oh, miserable, guys. Changed spark plugs. Obviously, fil air filters are, are, are nothing. Batteries a couple of times. Um, and several other things here and there, you know, um, and obviously my own oil changes. I've done my own oil changes for years. I don't, I don't see me wanting to spend a bunch of money on oil changes, um, mainly because I can do it usually faster than the Jiffy Lube or whatever the places are. And I don't try to charge myself a bunch of extra money or do extra work on it because I'm in and out in about 25 minutes. It's awesome. I am Jiffy in my lubing of cars. Yeah, I'm not ashamed of that. Um, okay, so I can do car stuff, which is great. And uh, you might hear some ambient noise here as some people get done with uh, some watching a few things downstairs. But yeah, so working on cars has been good, saved us a ton of money. I've learned to cut hair because I wanted to save money and it seemed like it couldn't be that hard. And it's not that hard. Certainly I have done some hatchet jobs on heads, but uh, overall it's been okay. I started with buzzing. So, you know, that confidence, that attribute has been, has served us well. And then let's go to kind of a big list of things. Now, uh, certainly, the mo I've said certainly several times, as I've said in a couple of episodes, we were shipped off to Best Friends every year for about five years to be a part of the labor force there. Scooped a lot of dog poo, like I mentioned in the last episode, and was also on work crews for digging trenches, which is hard work, but good for you. And I got tanned and I got muscles and that's great. Used to haul around giant bags of dog food, uh, 40, 50 pounds per bag. Sometimes I would do them one in each arm and, you know, I built some good muscle, but there were also times that I would help hang drywall. Uh, I was an assistant to one of the more skilled adults and I would hold the drywall. I'd hold it up um, as they were putting screws in. And then I ended up learning to put the screws in so that they didn't break through the paper of the drywall. Uh, and then I would help, I learned to tape the seams and then I learned to mud and to sand it smooth and make it look really nice so that it could be a good wall. I never learned to texture. Yeah, so I never learned to texture or anything like that, but I got good with the actual construction, which is good. I learned to wire the uh, light fixtures and outlets and other stuff like that, which is really helpful when you keep buying old houses like my family and I do. We've replaced, I think, 15 outlets in the house that we live in right now, maybe more. I've taught... Uh, my older boys, they've taught the, the two girls, uh, a couple, and we've just get it done. Not that hard. I've replaced a bunch of light fixtures. I mean, think about all the money I've saved because of the attribute of learning that I can do it. Um, if I don't have the skill, I'll learn the skill. I'll get on YouTube and see how to do it. So that's kind of a great benefit that came from growing up. Uh, and as for some other building, now, 
you should never mistake me for a carpenter or a craftsman. What I build is usually pretty ugly. I can sometimes do things that hide the ugly, but it's not usually particularly straight or flush with the wood that I make or that I work with, but I build sturdy things, generally quite sturdy things. So I have built at least five dog houses in my life from framing, floor, walls, all the way up to the roof. And uh, I built cat kind of towers. I built a ladder, which was awesome one summer that I used to get up to my bed because up until then I was being like a monkey climbing over the side. And I built cat runs uh, where the cat area is uh, down in Best Friends. I think they're all gone now. I did it with John. So John, uh, my fake dad, not my real dad, legal dad at the time, probably legally still is, although that's silly. Uh, yeah, so the man who talks like this through his nails is a very good man, you know, right? He was uh, the father of my, my older brother, Matthias. Uh, he was very good craftsman and very smart about things, right? And uh, I once summer, I ended up working for a couple of weeks with him, building some pretty quick cat runs out of straight um, logs, like straight tree trunks. It was not your two by fours or four by fours or anything like that. They were kind of rough, but straight uh, wood log things. We framed them out and then we stapled um, chicken wire all around them. And then I used this lot of crimper thing to connect multiple um, kind of rows of the chicken wire so that it'd be a fully meshed, closed in uh, cat run. I did several of those with John. Um, I built some fences, guys. Yeah, barbed wire, uh, chicken wire fence, chain link fence. Uh, I helped build the wood fence at Swiss. Um, and one of the coolest things I got to do was I helped to rehabilitate horses. Now, it was for an unfortunately short amount of time. But there were some horses that were a little, not temperamental, but were a little skittish around people. And sometimes we more mature and calm youth got to go ride them a little bit to try to get them more used to humans. And sometimes it was go down and feed them, go down and love on them. And sometimes eventually we got to ride them. And I loved riding horses as a kid. I loved it. I dreamed about it sometimes, man. I mean, I read The Black Stallion. It was one of my favorite books. It still is one of my favorite books. Being able to, you know, be with horses, those beautiful, enigmatic, astonishing creatures. Uh, I loved it, man. And they, the, the smell of horses, of their, of their fur and or their hair, I guess it is. Um, it just, it brings me back every time to just happy memories. Um, but that was a really special experience, being able to spend some time with those horses and get them used to voices and people again. Of course, you can, it won't surprise you that I brushed and washed dogs. Um, a lot of dogs, guys, brushed and washed a lot of dogs. Man, I have had, I've been coated in dog hair from like an Alaskan Malamute named Amra. I, I, so much brushing. Oh my goodness. And so many big clumps of fur coming off of that sucker. And of course there was lots of cleaning, but let me tell you, the an actual story of a skill that I had that I kind of built that let's see it built the attribute of I can do this kind of hard things um, and then it was also very Sisyphean in that it never really helped so when we lived in Dallas we lived in this giant house called Dixie as I've mentioned once or twice a uh, big house uh, kind of white siding on the side maybe wood siding not sure it's all gone now it's been replaced by some large I think, apartment residence area. Um, 
that and a couple of the houses nearby it. So, yeah, we lived there, and it's Texas, you know, Dallas. So, I mean, it's kind of humid, as you might not be surprised to hear. Uh, so, you know the bugs that live down there, right? You met a cute one in Wally, but no, there's just no such thing as a cute cockroach. Cockroaches are just gross. I mean, they're fundamentally empirically disgusting, okay? Um, let me describe to you some of the things that we would do about cockroaches. One of them was uh, disgusting and gross. One of them was what we did for work to maintain our home. The first, disgusting and gross, uh, the twins and I would sometimes don our large boots that we had made sure we either purchased or we convinced somebody to give us for our shoes, and we would go out to the back of the house where the driveway was, where we played a bunch of basketball, where there was kind of a running down, a garage that was getting run down, uh, which is where I did my exercise and where we stored our, all our bikes and stuff. Um, next to, a little ways down the driveway from that against a fence was the big garbage kind of bin. It wasn't a trash can by any means. It was this bin that was sort of falling apart. It was a square cube-like bin with an open top, uh, maybe two feet, three feet high. And when we got when we brought a trash bag out, we would just put it in this bin, and then come garbage time, we would take all the trash bags down to the down to the street, and they'd get picked up by the garbage men. Uh, but you can guess what you would find if you were to shift any single garbage bag in the garbage bin. You guessed it, cockroaches. Now, I don't mean little cockroaches. I mean the cockroaches the size of what you saw in the movie Wally. Big ol' suckers. These things could fly, my friends fly. I heard horror stories. I saw a couple really bad ones in Brazil too, but uh, yeah, I'm, and I've seen a couple of flying ones and they are singularly terrifying. But we would go out there, the twins and I, with our big old boots. We'd shift a couple trash can trash bags and I kid you not, we would just go roach stomping. Yeah, it makes my skin crawl. You should all be grossed out at this point. It's disgusting, but we'd kill hundreds probably. That's disgusting. We When we got done, we'd put the garbage cans back and then we wash off our, our boots and then let them dry inside the the uh, the back room. And that was that. So fun story there, right? Woohoo! Jared didn't just gross you up. Hopefully you weren't eating or working with food when you heard that story. If you were, yeah, I'm not sorry. So the other thing that we did was since Dixie was such a big house, you knew that there were always cockroaches around in the walls and stuff, but you couldn't really get rid of them. So the idea was to kind of try to keep them back. And since we had a kitchen and the kitchen was where food were, was, you know, prepared and served and stored, the idea was let's keep them at least, at least out of the kitchen. And so pretty regularly, like it seemed like well, at least twice a year, maybe more, we, all of the boys, and when there were girls living there, of course they did, they helped too. We would go into the kitchen and take stacks of plates and bowls and cups and all the silverware, we would completely empty all the cupboards and drawers, the pantry, in the kitchen. And we'd move the fridge out and make sure it's taped closed. And we'd make sure if we, I think we had a microwave after a little while, that that was always sealed closed. And uh, get all the cupboards and drawers and everything wide open, empty, completely bare. And then Jonathan, the guy who was our caretaker guy at that house, would set off what he called bombs. Um, and they were sort of bomb-like. I mean, you, you you may be familiar with them. You can go to your local hardware store and pick up some, like, um, ant killer type things or even mouse repellent, although probably that doesn't work. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But definitely ant killers and other pest killers. There were these fogging things, right? They would, um, he'd kind of click this thing and then he'd 
uh, seal up the kitchen, and then he would walk out real quick. And after setting it off, and he'd set off two or three in there to make sure it really got everywhere. And then we weren't able, we weren't to go in there for several hours. Um, and then the next day, probably not the next day, it was probably at the end of the day, um, we would go in and we'd have to wipe all the surfaces, wipe out all the cupboards, wipe out all the drawers, and then put the dishes all back. And then within the next day, we'd see more cockroaches in there. You know, I mean, what are you going to do? It's moist in there. It's a sink. It's under a sink that's kind of always warm. Uh, there's a pantry, there's food in there. I mean, no matter what you do, and also there were like 15, 20 kids in that freaking house. So what are you going to do? There were always cockroaches. The bombing didn't seem to work ever. So it was just kind of this ongoing hilarity that we'd go, we had to haul everything out then clean out all the cupboards and put everything back. And there's a part of me, there's, there's a strong part of me that's like, well, I have done a lot of work in my life. Maybe I'm tired. And I am, certainly. You know, we've bought and built a couple, bought a couple of houses and we've bought several houses now just because it's good to buy them and flip them when you can uh, and lived in them. And I refurbished quite a few of them. One of them we still keep as a rental, which is just a blessing. Uh, but, you know, I've done a lot of work on houses up to this point. And um, I guess I'm not tired, so tired that I can't do that work. And it's great to teach the kids to do the work. Uh, it's been it's been really good to have them learn that they also can accomplish interesting and cool things by working. One fun thing is that my one of my sons, the second boy, he built a foundry in our garage uh, out of materials that I uh, helped him buy and helped him prepare. Um, so that's, you know, a couple of stories, but mostly kind of cool skills that I gained. So, you know what, hopefully it answers a question that some of you are thinking, you know, was it all miserable? No, it was not. Um, because I came out with that inner attribute of confidence that I can just do things. I have the skills. I can work. I can make things happen. I can improve the world around me if I work. And if I can work creatively and um, without feeling like just because it's complicated, I can't do it, I can make a real difference. And, and I have. I've saved a bunch of money. So um, hopefully that wasn't too awful and too weird for you. I, I kind of enjoy reminiscing on some of those, those stories. Um, I put in toilets, so I'm happy to do plumbing, some stuff at least. So that's the end of our uh, our, sh our show, <laughs> my podcast for you today. Uh, we're at about our 30 minutes. Uh, just a quick reminder, you can always support. Help me put rotors on the van, I guess. Yeah, that's what we're working on today. Uh, tell your friends, though. Man, guys, I ask you, tell your friends about this podcast. It's kind of fun, right? I mean, we're having a good time together. You're asking questions. I'm answering those questions. Um, and there's fun artwork of me holding an old cap gun pointing at you while I wear a great old denim jacket. So tell your friends, tell your family, you could pick up a couple of my books on Amazon if you want to. That's great. But really, please do tell your friends and family. If there's any way to review this podcast and whatever platform you're, you're, you're listening to it on, give it a bunch of good stars or a really good review so that others can see it. And last and certainly not least, I ask you to please... Keep listening. Thanks, guys, for being here. Love you all. Uh, and the next episode comes out on uh, the day after New Year's. See you guys soon. I won't. Talk to you guys soon. Bye.